we were talking about what it looks like to be a praying church. Okay, so we're in a series called an Acts 2 kind of church, and a few weeks ago we looked at the Holy Spirit pouring out right at Pentecost, and then what does that look like in the life of a church? How do we flow from that moment where the Holy Spirit shows up at great power, and then how do we, 2,000 years later, begin to still carry out that mission and calling that the Lord has placed on the church. So if you've got your Bibles or Bible app on your phone, go with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be there. We're, we're wrapping up this story that we've been now in three weeks of starting in Acts chapter 3 with Peter and John. They go and they pray for a guy and he gets healed and it causes this whole thing and they get arrested and they're thrown in jail for the night and they face kind of this mock trial that Pastor Charles talked about last week and they get released with some strict Rules and warnings, you are not to go talk about Jesus anymore. And we're going to pick up the story of them getting back home. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. In this moment of just immediate, like, there is pressure here. They're facing some difficulties that are beyond any cultural issues that the church in America has had to face. Now, maybe someday we'll have some of these. We certainly have brothers and sisters of faith throughout the world who deal with these very things. Right? They've been told, you cannot preach, you cannot go talk in the name of Jesus, you can't pray for people, you can't you know, see healings or else. And by Acts chapter 5, let me, spoiler alert, they go do what God tells them to do. By Acts chapter 5, they're getting arrested again, and now the beatings start. By Acts chapter 7, some Christians are being put to death. It doesn't, like, they are facing some pressure here. Right? Uh, maybe, maybe some of the pressure you might remember, uh, like the, the Sunday after the hurricane. Right, and we gathered here, we threw the garage door open because we didn't have power or lights or there was no functionality or running off of generators and just trying to get by. But how, in that moment, remember how desperate you felt. Remember how desperate you felt to cry out to God to say, God, we see how clearly we need you. And that's this moment that they're in of this desperation of, God, you've got to show up in order for us to get through. And this is how the life of faith is lived, that we are desperate for God to show up. But if I could point out two things in these verses again, I love what it says. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. And then later in the next verse it says, together they prayed. They went back to their own people. And I love that. It's just a really important thing to note on the front end as we're going to talk about prayer and how important it is to be a praying church throughout this morning, that prayer is not just an individual thing between God and myself, right? That prayer is also a corporate kind of thing, that when you face pressure, right? You probably saw this in the hurricane, that when we face pressure, we need to have the right kind of people around us. They went back to their own people, I wonder in the moments of difficulties or of celebration who the right people or your own people are that are around you and are they the right kind of people. Uh, a few years ago, I'm trying to look around, I don't see Ray in here. 
right now. I haven't seen him yet. But a few years ago, Ray, one of our guys, showed me the contact card that he had in his phone for my dad. My dad had passed away about a decade earlier, but his phone number was still in Ray's phone. And so he showed it to me because he had, a, he had written a note on there and he was, just wanted to bless me. And I loved seeing this so much so that I saved it. And if you could put it up on the screen, look at the note he wrote on the bottom here about my father. Wrote, best friend to talk to when I have problems or questions. Best prayer buddy, we can share troubles in our lives. This is what it means to be like where, where Peter and John go back to their own people. That prayer, although yes, it is an intimate, personal thing between you and the Lord, also needs to be something that you have others that can pray along with you, that can walk along with you. There is no part of faith that is just individualistic. It's always community. It's always together. It's always walked out with others around. And so hopefully you have some of those kind of people in your life, and hopefully you can be that kind of person to others. Somebody that others know, all right, I can turn to, I can go ask for prayer, I can walk up to them when things are difficult and be honest, and I know that they will care for me. Peter and John know they have this in the believers, and so they go, and they tell them what's going on, and and verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, I don't think this is, this isn't like a chaotic moment here. This is a uh, uh, kind of they're going to lead out and the whole church gathered together is going to pray together. I, when I went to school, when I graduated high school, I left here. I made it two semesters at college before I moved back. Uh, got two under my belt. Very highly accomplished. Uh, so I left here and I went to Lakeland, to Southeastern University. I wanted to study ministry and to become a pastor. And so I was in there kind of ministry programs and stuff. And they had a rule for those of us who were in that program. You had to go to early morning prayer every week. That was just part of the setup. Early morning prayer on Tuesdays at 6 a.m. in the chapel. Did I mention we were college freshmen? At 6 a.m. These two things don't equal out. They don't work together, but it's what we had to do, and we wanted to, you know, get, so you scan your badge in, and you go into the chapel, and there are two different things that are happening in that moment. For early morning prayer to work, they have two ministry, ministry school senior students who they have jacked up on so much Cuban espresso and caffeine that they are like literally shaking up on stage. You're not sure, is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the caffeine? Maybe a little bit of both. It's Assemblies of God school, so, you know. Uh, if you get that joke, I did not get that joke before I went there. So, um, you learned some things. Moving on. Uh, so they're, they're all, they're shouting into the microphones. They're as loud as they can because the rest of us have rolled out of bed three minutes earlier, barely made it, and we're trying to pray like this. Jesus, and you're just... Lord, we just pray that you And you're just walking so you don't fall asleep. You're just all pacing around the room trying to stay awake. But there's at least some organization to it. There's some plans to it. Because in that school, within, even within this church, we know we survive on the prayers of our people. Right? That, that as Pastor Kim and Jamie are separated away so that they can work 
on writing this book that they're working on and so that they can plan and dream for the vision of the future of this church. Like all those practical pieces that go in, what makes it matter the most is the prayers of you and I. Like that's what the secret sauce, if you will, is for our church, is that our people pray to the Lord regularly. And sometimes, sometimes it's a messy, loud prayer, like the, the people on stage. Sometimes it's, it's all you can do to just be in it and praying. But God hears even the weakest, softest prayers because it's about the God who's listening. Look at this prayer that they pray. So they they raise their voices together in prayer to God, and they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The reason why prayer works is because it's not actually about the person who's praying. Do you see how they say it? Sovereign Lord, Creator God, you made, you've done all of these things. In fact, that word that the prayer starts with, Sovereign Lord, in the Greek which is the, the original language that the New Testament is written in. In the Greek, that is one word, despotes. And it's a word that, you know, through translations, and eventually we get like our word like despot or dictator. It's a sovereign lord or despotes, the Greek word, is the all-powerful ruler. The one who has all control and all authority over everything going on. Keep in mind, they've just been told by all of their regional authorities, all their government authorities, that they can't do what God has laid before them to do. They've been told to sit down and shut up. And so they go not before the king to ask his permission, not before Caesar to say, hey, Caesar, listen, it wasn't really fair what the governor said and did to us. No, no, they go, they keep going, uh, they go one up. They go as high as they can. They go before the sovereign Lord, ruler of all, creator of heavens and earth and sea and everything in them, and they're going to lay out, this is what we need. Because what prayer does is it changes where we're looking. It adjusts what our focus is on. It'd be easy for all of these believers to respond in fear. Right, and we get to know the story. I told you a little bit. There's beatings, there's uh, murders, there is a lot of really difficult persecution that's about to break out and happen. But they're living in the moment of that kind of fear. There is a lot for them to pay attention to around them, but instead they lift their eyes up off of what they could focus on to look at the Creator. God. And this is what prayer does in our lives. It raises our eyes off of our circumstances and onto God and all that he is doing in the middle of difficult times. I love Psalm 121 and the first two verses there. uh, And this Psalm is called, it's, it's, if you were to go there in your Bible, it says a song of a sense. So this is what that means. There's about 13 of those Psalms that are sung by the Jewish people as they come back to Jerusalem for Passover. So every year it's Passover time. They go there and these songs are sung as they ascend the hill. Jerusalem's on a hill. So as they walk up the mountain, they sing about the faithfulness of God. And this song starts by saying, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where will my help come from? It's a song that starts in the moment of saying, life is difficult. How do I get through? How do I survive? How do I make the right decisions? Am I going to look for help around me? 
Is help going to come from the mountains? Is there people coming down from the village to come get me, to save me, to protect me? Is that where my help comes from? And the answer in verse 2 is no, that's not where our help is. Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And Psalm 121, they lift their eyes to look to the mountain and they say, no, there is another spot even higher to look up to. And this is what happens in prayer. It is a great moment in prayer to connect with God. It's a great moment in prayer to be able to praise and celebrate how good God is. There are great moments in prayer to be able to petition and ask God to come and be at work in our lives, to confess sins, to to say, God, I've fallen short. But all of prayer should always be lifting our eyes off of what's around us and onto the sovereign Lord as they start in verse 25, their prayer. That our eyes are lifted up off of our situations and onto him. This is why we talk about like journaling so much, about having a regular quiet time. It's not like a checklist on the chore chart that my kids have to like, all right, we're trying to not do electronics 24-7 during summer break. So like, you've got to read, you've got to go to do dishwasher, you've got to do these other things. Sorry, Trey, it's just part of life. You've got to do other things. And now my kids are like negotiating back at me. All right, well, if I do both sets, the top and bottom of the dishwasher, then can I get extra things? And I'm like, what are we doing? I'm arguing with a little version of myself now. I used that example last service while he was in here and he corrected me afterwards and said, I actually did both of those and the clothes. And I'm like, this is my personality coming out in a tinier human. Okay, all right. But prayer, it's not this negotiation point with God. All right, God, if I do this with you, then I need you to come through for me in this way. No, it's a way for us to lift our eyes off of my world because my world is really good at getting my attention. It's really good at shouting at me about things that are going to go wrong or fears or anxieties that are going to rule over me or just ways that stresses can creep in. And it's said in prayer, I can lift my eyes up to see God and all the goodness that he has. It's not a checklist thing. It's a, I need this adjustment in my life. In, uh, in 2013, I started to get kind of frequent headaches. At first, it was just every few days in the evening, maybe there's just like stressful season or whatever, but it started to get headaches. And it started to get like more intense and more frequent. And it was every other day. And instead of just in the evenings, it started in the afternoon and just kept on getting worse. So I went and got my eyes checked uh, to see like, all right, is, is it my prescription that's off? Nope, that's not it. And the headaches continue to get worse. And maybe, all right, try a different pillow. Maybe it's something with sleeping. That's not it. And, and by May or June of that year, it was, I woke up with a migraine and it was there. And there was nothing that we could figure out in the moment how to get rid of it. Went and had some CAT scans and MRIs, make sure there's nothing physical going on in my brain. Nope, no issues there, all clear, all good. You might dispute that, but they said it was a clean bill of health. So, um, stupid joke, but it happened. Oh well, move on. That, that, that's not it. I, listen, that's just what happens, okay? Uh, that, that wasn't it. Kept going. Neurologist, appointment after appointment, and, and just giving me different pills. Try this. Try that. And all they would do would just kind of blunt it, take away the edge. By, by the time we got things figured out, I had been in migraine for about nine months straight. There wasn't any relief. It'd be finish work, 
go home and lay down with as much I could do to get darkness to just try to survive and not be a jerk to my kids and wife, which I failed at regularly in those moments. Tried everything. Acupuncture. They said different pillows. Somebody said go roll around in the dirt and rub this tea on your neck. Like I had done whatever it, whatever I could, anything to try to get out of pain and eventually went to a chiropractor and she said, migraine, sometimes that's this. And she pushed on my atlas, just right here where my head connects to my neck, the, just a little, little tiny bone. She pushed right there and I jumped out of that chair, out of my own body. I can't guarantee I didn't say any bad words, but I claim that I did not. I don't know. I'm not sure. But as soon as she pushed on that spot, all of that pain shot forward in the front of my head. I could feel it immediately. And so we started getting adjustments. What, what had been a consistent pain started slowly going away. And now a decade later, every two weeks, I'm still going to have a chiropractor just push on one little bone, just keep getting it back into alignment, keep moving it back into its right spot. Because left alone, on my own, I'm going to deteriorate. My atlas is going to go its own way. It's going to move off. It's going to cause pain and problems. So I need to get back in and get realigned. And this is what prayer does in our lives. It realigns us with God. It lifts our eyes up off of our problems and up onto the God who can actually solve them. Because you know what? Focusing on the problems doesn't really get you anywhere. Doesn't really solve anything. This isn't just like a, nor is it just like a meditation thing where I just sit back and breathe deep within myself to find a peace and a calm. That, that doesn't solve anything either. I need a God who is physically capable of resolving the painful issues around me. And maybe you don't walk through hard things. Maybe you don't have struggles in life. But most of us, I think, would say we've encountered some real difficulties in our days. And so I need to have a way to lift my eyes up from those things to see a God who is faithful. Look at how their prayer carries on. I say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they're going to quote Scripture. It's always, always good to have some prayers based out of Scripture. That they're able to look back. They're going to quote Psalm 2, which is actually all about basically the same situation that they're in. In Psalm 2, David is writing about kings and rulers who say they're going to control the world. They're going to do things their way. Their gods are going to be the ones that are mighty. And David's calling out to God to say, step in, to do something different here. And by the end of Psalm 2, God does. And he destroys evil around David. And so they come to this foundation of Scripture. This, they're grounded there of a, in a hope. Right? We even sang about it in the song earlier that, that there are altars in the wilderness. Those are moments and spaces in the past of our lives where we can look back and say, God has been faithful. And that's what prayers rooted in Scripture help us do. They help us look back as they're praying here. They're saying, God, you were faithful to David. You were faithful to the people of Israel then to carry them through. And in the same way, we need you to be faithful to us now, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And I quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? 
The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. As they're praying this prayer, they're just two months past from when Jesus was put to death on a cross. They are carrying some very fresh wounds, fresh pains of seeing moments where their leader, their God was put to death. In verse 27, they go back to that. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They say, God, there is some serious issues around us. There are some serious problems here. You are the sovereign Lord. So look at this next sentence. It's amazing. Verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Bet you didn't think that was going to be the next sentence. Right? As they're, they're, they're listing out, God, all of these difficulties have happened. We need you to step in and smite the enemy. We need you to step in and destroy this governor and this king and these people who are telling us we can't go about doing what you have called us to do, except even in those really difficult moments, God's will was what was being accomplished. Even in pain and what looked like at the moment a loss as Jesus put to death, that is God's will being carried out. And all that's happened in the two months since then, right? They've seen the resurrection of Jesus. They've walked the streets with Jesus after his resurrection. Peter and John and some of the disciples were there as he ascended into heaven. They've seen some of these powerful moments. They can look backwards at the difficult things and say, we know God's been at work. We know God hasn't left us yet. And so that characterizes their whole prayer here. Not only are they basing it in Scripture, but they're able to say, God, we see that there is more going on. Right? What Pastor Charles preached about last week, there's more going on than is going on. We see that your will is at work in our lives. Because prayer is never about trying to force our will into heaven. Prayer is about trying to bring God's will down into earth. That's the focus of prayer. That quote comes from a guy named Warren Wearsby who wrote a commentary on this section of scripture. Prayer is about bringing God's will to earth, not forcing my will into heaven. And I know that That's not necessarily how we always feel. Like in the moment of difficulty, we come before God and we bring him our things. We bring him our issues. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. But if we don't first start with a foundation of saying, all right, God, what you're doing is what I'm going to follow, then we're going to miss the point of the prayers. We do go petition, and we'll get to this in a moment. But first, before we go and ask God for things, there needs to be an understanding that God, your will be done, right? This is, this is part of the start. I mean, this, this is basically followed the Lord's Prayer. Other than adding Psalm 2 in, the Lord's Prayer has this same start. It starts about talking about how great God is and then goes immediately to let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the same thing right here. They're saying your will is what's gonna lead out here, God. Your will, not my will. 
In prayer, I'm never trying to force God's hand to work for me. In prayer, I'm realigning my life, my vision into what God is already doing. Saying, okay, how can I join in with where God is? How can I join in with what God is already doing? They say even these most difficult moments, that was the will of God that he decided beforehand should happen. And so, okay, God, if that's what you're doing, look at their response now. Now we get to the petition. All right, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. All right, Lord, now remember all that they've threatened us. Even though that was your will and your plan, you've heard them, God. Now it gets a little more personal to them. Consider their threats. They have railed against us. They have threatened against us. They are snarling at us. So consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I can't wrap my head around this prayer. They still don't come and say, all right, God, now, now that you know, all right, then it was your will, now we need your protection. Now we need you to step in and get rid of the evils against us. That's not their prayer. Their prayer is, all right, God, if this is what your will is doing, then enable us to stand with you. Give us the power and the strength that we need to carry out your will. This is the petition part of prayer, the asking part of prayer. But the way that it works is not to just say, this is what I need, God. It's to say, God, in the middle of these circumstances, be with me and teach me how to respond the right way. Right? If you've you've read through the Gospels, you might have come to John 14, and it's really difficult set of scripture about prayer. Because Jesus is talking, he's just said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and Philip's very confused. He's like, if you're leaving us, how are we going to know where to go? We don't know how to get there. And, and I, I kind of get Philip's fears here. And Jesus' response is like really challenging. He says back to Philip, that, in fact, Philip, you're going to know the way because you know me. And in fact, you're going to go and do even greater things than I've done. And anything that you pray... I will answer and do. And that's a really difficult verse to deal with because there have been plenty of prayers I have prayed that God didn't answer. Some of those are good things. You can look back in your own history and say, I am glad that God didn't say yes to everything I asked for. Your world, my world would be completely different and certainly not better if God had said yes to every prayer that I had asked for. The difference here and the reason that this verse still fits and works is that what Jesus is saying is that when our prayer is in alignment with God's will, when we've said, all right, God, whatever you're doing, that's going to be what I'm doing. So enable me to carry it out. This kind of prayer, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, right? There is no selfishness in this prayer. There is no give me what I want in this prayer. There is no enable us to work around it and not have pain in this prayer. When Jesus in John 14 says, what you pray I will do, what he's saying is when you learn to pray in the right way, your prayers will come through. 
Because now it's no longer a selfish thing that I want to pray for. It's a, God, in the middle of this, in the middle of what you're doing, give me wisdom to see how to respond. Give me wisdom to see how to walk this out. Enable your servants. There's a humility there, right? A recognition in prayer that God is the sovereign Lord and I'm just the servant. So I'm not demanding anything out of him. I'm asking him to enable me to carry out his plan, his mission. This is what prayer is. It's a realignment to focus on God, to then get his empowerment to walk out whatever he's called you to. So it doesn't matter necessarily what changes happen in government. That if this church continues to walk in the direction God calls us, then he's going to continue to lead us. He's going to continue to guide us. This is why the church in Afghanistan, in North Korea, in China, and some of these places that are really dangerous for Christians, like most dangerous countries in the world, why the church continues to grow. Because they have a sovereign Lord over them who enables them to continue to go out. Who enables them to speak his word with great boldness, to quote that prayer. And it's the same for you and I. Although we don't face those type of pressures, we certainly face other pressures where it can be difficult to have a conversation about God or it can be difficult to make a stand in business to do it the right way and the way that God has called you to do. And it, it can cost you moments with clients or with family or, or raising or dealing with adult children and you've got to make stands on what kind of things you'll tolerate versus what they want to do. But if you're going to stand in God's will, he will enable you to keep walking forward. He will enable you to keep loving people in the middle of difficult conversations. It's what lines up with his will. He enables and answers those kind of prayers. Look at what happens. They pray that. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, not to stop somebody, not to hurt, but stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. God answers right away because when you pray in alignment with his will and his spirit, he shows up and answers in powerful ways. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Boldly they go out. And they continue to see, you could finish Acts chapter four, we're not gonna read today. Good stuff continues to happen. The Holy Spirit continues to be at work, but all of that begins to happen because they first come out. They cry out to God. They lift their eyes off of the rulers and the mountains right in front of them and say, all right, God, we need you to come show up. And then he does. And he enables them to go out in his boldness and in his strength and to deal with all the difficulties that will come. And there will be plenty, right? Jesus promises this in John 19. In this world, you will have troubles, 
right? For you and I, we know that when you leave here today or when you go to work tomorrow or when you pick up the phone and answer the call from the doctor in three weeks or whatever else, that there will be difficult, hard, painful, gut-wrenching moments. But in those moments, we have the power of God available to us in prayer as well. How we can, as the psalmist said, lift our eyes up, not to the mountains, not to somebody else, not to something else, but we can lift our eyes up to God, the sovereign Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and then cry out for his empowerment, his will to be at work in our lives, that even in the difficult moments that we could walk through them with him. Because you'll never face a hard moment, a painful thing. If you're walking in the will of God, you will never face a difficult moment and have to walk through it in your own strength. It's in that space that his will, his kingdom, his Holy Spirit is at work. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That room is shaken to make them unshakable, that they'll be able to stand boldly and declare the goodness of God to all around them who will listen and receive. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then did exactly what they were praying for, the empowerment of God to go do. God loves to empower his people. He's not a stingy God with the Holy Spirit, like, let me pour out just a little, a little drop here. You can have a little bit of me, but not too much. I don't know. When we can pray like this in alignment with the will of God, his spirit shows up in great and powerful ways to change everything around us. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves. To be willing to humble ourselves and say, all right, I'm not going to try to force my will into heaven. I'm not going to try to force my way onto God. Instead, I'm going to look for God's will coming into my world. I'm going to look for God's will, his ways, his heart coming into my life. And that happens in all of those difficult spaces. Everywhere that you would want to cry out to God for help, you still do. You still bring that before the Lord, right? They say, consider their threats. They brought it before God, but their prayer request there was not a selfish one. It was one of God in the middle of that. Show up. Show up. Show up. And then he does. This is how we survive as an Acts 2 kind of church. Not by plans, not by preparation, not by finances, not by anything else other than prayer to the sovereign Lord who is above all, and then him showing up, him being at work. Because when we pray in this way, in alignment with what he's doing, looking at him, not looking at our situation. He loves to pour out his Holy Spirit. And you and I are in desperate, desperate need of his Spirit to be at work. So what we're going to do right now is we're actually going to have a little bit of prayer time. And I'm going to go to Psalm 121, and I'm going to pray some of those verses over you in a moment. And then we're going to close with worship. And in worship even, we're going to sing a prayer song back to God. And just in the next 10 or so minutes, we'll see the Holy Spirit show up 
in great ways. He'll enable you to stand through the trials that you're facing. He'll empower you to walk out the life that he has called you to live. Not because of us getting the words right in a prayer or not really because of much that we're going to do other than the fact that we're going to humble ourselves and say, come Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to stand up with me. And then we're going to pray together. Join me in prayer. Sovereign Lord, powerful King, almighty God, we lift our eyes up to you. Lord, there is so much in this room right now. Lord, so many burdens and pains and fears and emotions and physical issues. God, that we are powerless to solve on our own. So Lord, we lift our eyes up to you and we say, come Holy Spirit. Father, let your presence be here. Lord, we know that you have been faithful to bring us this far. And so, God, we ask that you would continue to be at work. Lord, let us have clear eyes to see what your Holy Spirit is doing in and around each of us. And then, Lord, empower us to be able to respond as you would want. Lord, not in our own strength, but in yours. Let me read the rest of Psalm 121. It says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Father, we we receive that, that you would continue to watch over your people. Lord, that, that as we step out to follow you in moments where it seems difficult, that your spirit would guide us, that we'd have clear words from you on how to love boldly, on how to speak boldly on how to care rightly for those around us and that you would keep your people from harm. Lord, to think even now of of brothers and sisters around the world who who face very real harm. I pray for your spirit to protect them and to enable them to continue to stand boldly. you've been so gracious to each of us in this room. Father, I pray that you would continue to empower and embolden each one here to be able to take steps to bring your kingdom to those around them that are in need. Father, we know that in our own strength, we fall short. In our own strength, we fail. In our own strength, we give you a bad name. But Lord, that when we get in the right alignment, 
that when we look to you first, that when we lift our eyes off of all that's around us, that your spirit shows up in power. So Father, I ask even that you would just enable in this room the ability for people to lift their eyes off of the big weights in their world to see how much bigger your faithfulness is than those things. Come, Holy Spirit, and we turn to worship you in this moment.